Father, we just thank you once again for this morning. Father, speak to our hearts. Unpack your word. Grant us grace that we will understand what your spirit has to say to all of us in this last hour of time. Show us what is there deep down inside of our hearts. Thank you, Father. Grant us grace to that and we pray. Anoint us this morning afresh. Teach us your ways, show us your paths and lead us into the way of everlasting life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. First, let's turn to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. There's one man who, the scribe, if I'm, if I'm right, or the lawyer who comes to Jesus in Gospel according to Luke chapter 10, you don't have to turn there. He says, teacher, what must I do to gain eternal life? And he says, uh, sorry, he asks him, which is a great commandment, not, not, what, what must I do or, um, keep the commandments? And Jesus says, he says, what, what, which is a great commandment? And Jesus asks, how do you read the Bible? He says, uh, well, um, what do you say the Bible says? He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, you have spoken well. Do it and you will have eternal life. And he begins to justify himself and he asks Jesus who his neighbor is. There's another guy who comes to Jesus and says, Master, he bows himself down and he says, Master, what should I do to gain eternal life? And he says, keep the commandments. And he says, which ones? He gives him six commandments. And he says, right from my youth, I've been keeping these commandments. And he says, well, you have one thing which you lack. You're a great man. There's an idol of covetousness in your heart. Sell all your possessions. Give it to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Jesus, it says in Mark's gospel, in the gospel of Mark, he says, Jesus looked at him and he loved him, he says. But there's one thing, a big stumbling block in his heart. The stumbling block of earthly security. Jesus says, that big idol of earthly security. Break it and follow me. Well, and you know how the story ends. He goes back sadly. Very sad, not sadly. Sad. (laughs) Very sad. He goes back very sad. And Jesus says how difficult it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of... It is easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. But it is difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom. And the disciples are shocked. And they say, how then can anybody be saved? And he says... What is impossible with man is possible with God. And what is the one thing which is possible with God is to give us a new heart and take away every idol. It says in Ezekiel chapter 36, he says, I'm going to pour clean water on you and I'm going to cleanse you of all your what? 
idols. I'm going to put clean water on you and I'm going to cleanse you of all your idols and then I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to take away the heart of stone and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. Okay. The first commandment is the commandment. According to me, it is the most important commandment. In fact, I believe the first commandment and the last commandment are like so similar. It's like a garland, no? They are together in a garland, right? The first law and the, I mean, the first flower and the last flower are together in the garland. The first flower is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And it says, thou shalt not covet. I think these two are so important. In fact, all the other commandments are held together by the first commandment and the last commandment. And if you have broken any of these two, forget about the rest. It's impossible for you to keep the, the other commandments as well. In fact, you have broken all of them. Therefore, last day, yesterday we looked at this one verse, Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. Let's look at that verse. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. It says, finally, 3, 5, yeah. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Jesus Christ. Jude 1 and verse 21, if I'm right, Jude 1, verse, there's only one one chapter, Jude 1 and verse, uh, which says, uh, keep yourself in the love, 21, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, thank you. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Keep yourself in the love of God. Oh, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. What is the first commandment? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength and love your name. The second is just like that. And then, uh, let the, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Jesus Christ. Because what, how long will you proceed? I mean, we should you endure. It says, those who endure till the end will be saved. Why? Because the love of many will what? Wax cold. But those who endure till the end, that is the reason why, unto the patience of Jesus Christ. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the patience of Jesus Christ. Because those who endure till the end shall be saved. And therefore, one of the things that we will all always ask God, Lord, you and you alone should be the center of my life. So if I if I change the first commandment, if I mess, mess up the first commandment, if, I messed up the whole commandment. And therefore, Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, 2, and 3 will say, what does it say? Thus says the Lord. And the Lord spoke these words, saying, Thus says the Lord, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the hand of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods apart from me. This is the commandment, no other gods. In fact, if you don't have God, then you will have to have gods. We looked at that, the progression in Judges. It starts with Baal and Ashtoreth. Then it becomes Baalim and Ashtoreth. And other gods. And the God of Sidonians. Because if you don't have God at the center of your heart, you will have a multiplicity of gods. And your heart gets completely divided. And therefore, it says in Psalm 85 verse 11, Psalm 85 verse 11, what does it say? Psalm 85 verse 11. Truth, oh, 84 verse 11 if I'm right. Not 85, 84 verse 11, 86 verse 11. Ah, 86 verse 
sorry. 86 verse 11 then. Yes, 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 86, not 85. Psalm 86 verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite. Ah, Make my heart whole. Let there be no double-mindedness. Let there be no division in my heart. Unite my heart to fear your name. And you know what we are doing over a period of time? It says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. A double-minded man will receive nothing from the Lord. He is unstable in all his ways, says the Bible. Dvimanaskulu. Dvimanaskulu ante rendu bhagalaga vibhajincha badan mat. Enti ni manasu. Virgipo indi. Manasu viraga neni mari chercha radaya. If your heart breaks, your mind breaks into pieces, it cannot be made whole. <laughs> you see, that is what Vemana said. But you know what? God is in the process of making us whole. Okay. Remarkable, isn't it? So, let, that, that should be our focus. And therefore this morning, even as we, uh, uh, understand what, uh, the first commandment in, in, in a little more detail. We have to spend a little more time here, I believe. There's a slippery slope into idolatry. Okay. What is idolatry? It is nothing but spiritual adultery. We looked at that yesterday in uh, Jeremiah chapter 2. What injustice have your fathers seen in me that they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they've got hewn themselves cisterns, what? Broken cisterns which can hold no water. What they have, what they have seen in me, that they have run after vanity and have become vain, it says. What iniquity have they seen in me? That they have run after vanity and have become vain. And we have a tremendous, 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 what do you say, uh, uh, propensity, if you will, towards idolatry. Our heart is prone Towards idolatry. That is the reason why our heart is an idol factory. Prone to wander. Lord we feel it. Prone to leave the Lord we love. Here's my heart. Oh take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. There's a slippery slope into idolatry. And I would identify four steps. And I will explain it. That Explain this this using an example in the old covenant. First let us look at the step number, step number one. We know idolatry is what? Spiritual adultery. Right? Turn to James chapter 4 verse 4. The first step. It starts with friendship. What does it start with? Friendship. You know, friendship is just not a simple act. The only friend that, uh, friendships that is talked about in the Bible is Abraham, the friend of God. And the only other friends outside Abraham being a friend of God is the friendship between Jonathan and uh, David. And it says, the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. You see, um, um, so of course, this is filio. Friendship is a filio love. The four loves, you know it. Storge, filio, sorry, storge, eros, filio, agape. That is the order, okay? Storge is the love of the, love the parent has for the child. Natural affections will not be there in the last days. Second is eros, which is erotic love, supposed to be between a husband and a wife, and of course nowadays it's like split into different different places in different different parts. Um, that is something which uh, uh, is is horrible, of course, in these last days. The third is filio. See, erotic love, which is between the husband and wife, you are looking at each other and admiring one another. Oh, what did, you have something in the other person which attracts you to you, 
you to her or in you which attracts you to her and therefore you you've um, you've you know you've fallen in love so to speak and like the way um the great man jacob our patriarch did he kissed and then did something it's remarkable first of all he kissed off directly okay it's it's a it's a remarkable start okay to his romance and then you know for 14 years he had to pay the price that's okay that's a that's a different thing altogether that is one one quintessential problem with the young people okay don't fall in love okay i didn't complete the sentence right anyway so what am what am i saying the erotic love is between two people and they see something in each other but whereas filio you know two people do not become friends because they see something in each other have you ever seen uh, two friends talking and saying you know are you're such a great friend to me ra thank you so much for being there for me you don't you don't speak like that what attracts you to become friends is something which is common and whenever you come together as friends you speak about something which is common common interests and that is and you hardly talk about one another you talk about something which is common that is friendship generally okay see for example like men when they talk to each other they're talking about let's say a movie or maybe a sports personality and there's that those ideas if you will make them into friends and they and those commonalities so what should be friendship in the kingdom why why did jesus call his disciples friends because they have one common objective the person of jesus of god they started loving him and that is how they became friends that is the reason why jesus asked this fantastic question he says peter son of jonah do you filio me exactly do we have anything common <laughs> it's not just love me it is filio me do we have anything common i hope so I hope so we have common and that is exactly the reason why when two people become friends they look at something common for example Jonathan sees a kindred spirit in David how they view the philistines who is this uncircumcised philistine who dares defy the armies of the living god says david and when when uh, Jonathan is going and uh, with his armor bearer he says these uncircumcised philistines the way they see the enemy is the same they have a common viewpoint towards the enemy and that is how they have a kindred spirit which kind of makes them into friends okay you understand so choose your friends very carefully people who will have common objectives that is filio and the ultimate challenge i will always tell this in any marriage is for erotic love to become filio where the husband and wife have a common goal and both of them are able to look at that one common goal in their lives are able to put away the differences that they have with each other and because how long will you start admiring another i mean the more you start looking at each other you'll only look at faults right but the moment you turn your attention from each other away from each other and toward god and the purpose of the kingdom of god the erotic love becomes filio and that's the ultimate challenge i believe in in every marriage i'm just challenging i'm not i'm not that i'm already there i'm just saying that is a challenge for all of us 
But the problem is, either the husband has a different viewpoint than the wife, and the wife has a different viewpoint than the husband, they are not knit together towards a common objective, and that is possibly one of the reasons why there's so much of friction in a marriage. When they become one, it's not just one in terms of... uh, uh, in terms of oneness in the flesh or in the, or whatever it is, I mean, you want to call it, it's basically oneness in the way that they look at their relationship with God and the objective in the kingdom of God, their purpose in the kingdom of God. Why did God bring them together? It's these, all these things become a, a focal point. And that is where I believe sustaining, uh, there'll be a sustaining influence in the marriage. Now, the problem here is first starts with friendship. Slippery slope towards idolatry. Look at what it says. You adulterous people or idolatrous people, okay? If you were to put it that way. Adultery is spiritual idolatry. Or, yeah, this is essentially, uh, idolatry is spiritual adultery, sorry. Idolatry is spiritual adultery. You see, don't you know that friendship with the world is what? Enmity with God. Whoever, therefore, wants to be a filio. Come on. What is there common between the world and a man of God? That you want to become a friend. Is the point, right? Friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And therefore, goes on, it says, or do you know, or do you think the scripture says in vain the spirit dwells in us, yearns jealously, for it gives more grace. Therefore, says the Lord, God resists the proud, but gives what? Grace to you. Therefore, submit yourselves to God and resist the devil. Draw near to God. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. It's what says in verse 8. But why does, why does he use the word pride over here? You saw that, right? God resists the pride. In conjunction with spiritual, uh, idolatry, spiritual, yeah, spiritual adultery. Why does he use the word pride over there? First, it starts with friendship. Second, you begin to love. It starts with friendship and you begin to love the world. What, we, what is the word for loving now? It's agape. <laughs> you begin to love it. It starts with friendship and you begin to love it. And it says in John's Gospel chapter 2, verse 15 onwards, we know this very well. Oh, sorry. 1 John chapter 2. Ah, apologize, Dr. David, Dr. Uh, Richard. 1 John chapter 2 verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the, love of the Father is not in him. And he explains it. It says in verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. And how does it end with? The pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. He makes makes a very interesting statement over there. He says the pride of life. You see, as I said, I mean, one man of God makes a very interesting statement. He says, um, in an office, for promotion, there's always competition. Okay. And wherever there is pride, there is no unity. Even thieves, they come together because they have a common objective to steal. But in pride, you always want to have a better salary than the other person. The moment you want to have a better salary, what you're promoting is not necessarily unity, but what? Division. 
understand it. So it starts off with friendship with the world. And then the second step becomes what? Love for the world. And then third step, you get defiled by the world. What do you get? You get defiled by the world. James chapter 1 verse 27. Look at what it says. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, that to visit the orphans and the widows in their trouble, to keep oneself what? Unspotted from the world. The word, the word, the word for the world is cosmos. Huh? Cosmos, yes. Cosmos. You know where this word occurs? Another time. First Peter chapter 3 verse 3. And I want you to guess the word cosmos here. Chapter 3, verse 3. Do not let your adornment be merely outward arranging the hair, wearing of gold or putting on of the fine apparel. Can you tell me in verse 3, what is the word for cosmos? Excuse me? Adornment. Bang on. <laughs> Do not let your world... <laughs> See that? That's exactly the, for the word cosmos. Do not let your adornment be merely outward. Meaning, what is the world interested in? It's only interested in the outward. Appearance, that is the word cosmos. That is the reason why you get the word cosmetic. Meaning what? Order out of chaos. Cosmos. So your 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 concern about your outward looks. You know what is outward looks for women? It could be uh, it could be makeup and dress, etc. What, what what about men? It's not necessarily Raymond's, the complete man. It is just not that. It it could be the kind of job you have, the kind of money that you have owned, the kind of degrees that you have accrued. Success is your adornment. Success is your cosmos. Success is your world. That's what you, you see. You know? She means the what to me? The world to me. Ah. That's your adornment. That is what you're putting on. You're getting defiled by the world now. So it starts with friendship and it becomes into love. And third one, it becomes what? Defilement. And then fourth step. The fourth and the final step is what? You know what it is? You get engulfed by the world now. You're just completely consumed by it and you don't even know that you are in an absolutely polluted environment. You've forgotten your former estate, former former self. How do I know it? Turn to Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 20. Verse 20 onwards. For if they have escaped the what of the world? The pollutions of the world. You were not, first of all, you began to love the world. Sorry, you became a friend of the world. Then you began to love the world. And then you became defiled by the world. Now you are getting polluted by the world. It's like Delhi. The most polluted city in the world. In the, in the, in the world, yeah. In, the, in our country, boy, engulfed. That means you have to pay 500 rupees to get oxygen. Pure oxygen. Can you believe it? Our national capital. Our national capital, not yours guys, okay? Our national capital. <laughs> yours also, okay, maybe, yeah. <laughs> your, maybe I don't know how, how your, your country, but Delhi is absolutely engulfed pollution. It's like that, no? The world is completely polluted. And oh, you're so comfortable in it now. You're so comfortable. You're breathing in carbon dioxide and all kinds of absolute filth and 
everything and you are enjoying it. Because what happens? For after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome by them and the latter end is what? Worse than the beginning. And what has happened to them? Verse 21. For it would have been better for them not to have known the ways of righteousness than having known it and turned from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow having washed to the wallowing in its mire. It's like enjoying like a, like a pig in that, in that whatever. Monsoon rain kichad. Enjoying itself. Back there. Starts with friendship. Begins love. Begins defilement. And finally, you are there into its swimming in the world. Completely oblivious to the fact that once you have escaped the water of the world, the pollution of the world. That is a slippery slope into idolatry. And we all have to be careful. The question is, what is the air that you are breathing? We sing that song. This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence. Really? Your very word spoken to me. And I, really, desperate for you? That is the reason why you don't want to sing those songs anymore, right? Because I don't think even the worship leaders are convicted enough that it is as strong a conviction in them so that they can, without fear, sing it. You see, again, polluted by the world. The epistle of John, by the way, talks about the world so much. It's like one guy who knows the world. I mean, the maximum number of times the word world is mentioned is mentioned in the epistle of John. By the way, the two words for uh, world in this in the Greek Bible, it's both aeon and cosmos. Aeon is translated as age. Okay, God has delivered us from the power of this age. Okay. Cosmos is a world system. Okay, there's a difference, slight difference. We'll, we can talk about that later. But understand this. Now, how do we know? That we are in the world or not in the world. This, let, let us do a small test, okay, according to scripture. First, 1 John chapter 3 verse 1. 1 John chapter 3 verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not <laughs> I like that. It's beautiful. It is exactly the words of the gospel according to John. He made the world, but the world did not know him. He came to his own, but the own did not, his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, he gave them the power to be called the children of God. So how do you know that you are of the world? Does the world know you? Or are you unknown? Meaning, you are a conundrum to the world. You are an absolute antithesis of the world. Your value systems are so anti-world that when they look at you, they say, boy, you're none of us, boss. You're none of us. 
you are totally, completely, totally different from us. In fact, it says, the man of the spirit cannot be understood by anyone. I'll show you. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter 2 and verse, um, I'll tell you the verse exactly. Hmm? Verse 14 onwards, bro. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are what to him? Foolishness to him. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But for a man of the Spirit, the message of the cross, how I love it. That's exactly the difference. Boy, today I heard about the cross. I know how I can crucify the world in me. I love this. I see the world inside of me. And today I heard a message as to how to apply the cross on my life so that I can die to the things of this world. You love it and you enjoy it. It is wisdom to you. I mean, yesterday one of the incredible wisdom statements that I loved when Pastor was talking to us, uh, especially when he was talking about marriage, right? I mean, it was a pearl for me. It was a pearl. It was like um, Ethan the Ezraite. You know who I'm talking about. Turn to first, go to First Kings chapter four. You will know. No, 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 no. That's your homework. Okay. And his his contemporaries. And Solomon was apparently better than all of them. But I feel, uh, no, I have my own inhibitions uh, uh, to those statements. But there was a pearl yesterday, one pearl. If you remember, uh, I was talking about uh, uh, how uh, a woman has to, whether she has to work or not, etc. And after the, after the, he finished that, I asked, Pastor, what, do, what is your uh, message to the men? No, what I was looking for, the answer is, men should always keep upgrading their skills. That's what I was looking for. You know what he said? If you were carefully paying attention, you should be what? A steward of the resources that God has given you. That was a stunning statement. That was only from the Spirit of God. He says, it is not what you do or not do that is important. It is how good you are a steward of what God has already given you. That is important. And I said, boy, that is Paul. Paul, how contrary to the world. What will the world say? Go and do a certification course in data science. Nonsense. Learn algorithms. Learn machine learning. Learn artificial intelligence. Two-year course on data science from uh, what Carnegie Mellon, Purdue, uh, IIIT, what have you. Because the number of jobs for data science is increasing. That is what the world will say. But what will God say? Become a steward. How contrary. That's what he says. It is foolishness. Because to become a steward of God's resources, what should you apply over your life? The cross. <laughs> You see, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And look at the next verse. Verse 15. Yeah. Next verse. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. Meaning, the guy who is of the Spirit, when people look at him, nobody can rightly judge him. They'll call him a fanatic. They'll call him in all kinds of names. They'll say, this is this guy is a crazy fellow. You are too extreme. What have you done with all your education? 
What have you done with the taxpayer's money which has been invested into your life? That's exactly what my one of my uncles told me. And another colleague of mine told me when I was saying that I was uh, coming to full-time ministry. Colleague of mine is a Hindu, okay? And he said, Vijay, oh, I heard you, you're graduated. So what's your, what are your plans, bro? I said, uh, bro, I'm becoming a, not bro, not bro. Yeah, he's not a brother. Okay, fine. I said, I'm going into the ministry. He looked at me and he said, Vijay, five years in a PhD. You could have given that seat to somebody else who would have used it. Why did you waste that seat? That's what he told me. And then, you know, the next statement he said, but I tell you, you Christians, man, you are the only people who do these things. I've never seen people who are dedicated to your their, to their cause and non-Christians. That's what exactly the statements he was using. Words to that effect. Why? Because this natural man cannot judge the spiritual person rightly. The world does not know him. That's what happened to Jesus too. The world loves your own, he says in John's Gospel chapter 7. If no one who seeks to be known by his disciples does things in secret, go to Jerusalem and show yourself. My time has not yet come. The, your time is already here and the world cannot hate you. But it hates me. Because you cannot be known by the world. The question is, can you be understood by the world? If the world understands you, the chances are you are not spiritual man. You are not of this, of, of God. If you can actually put it in Telugu, if you can, just these two verses, 15 and 16. It's really interesting, okay? Atma sammandhiyayana vadu, annitini vivechinchinu gaani, athadu, evani chetanayananu vivechimpa badadu. Chusaramiru? You know what he's saying? The guy who's of the spirit can actually discern everything, but nobody can discern him. Rightly. But the guy of the spirit, you know what? Well, isn't it a tremendous gift that God has given us? That we, when we are of the spirit, we can discern what is of the world and what is not of the world. And we can become like the unjust word, better than the unjust word. That the people in the world, the sons of this age are better than the sons of the light, he says. What a shame for all of us. Hmm? I find I find Christians which are who are neither good in this nor that. They are not good at their studies, they are neither good in their uh, in their spiritual walk. Where are they? Nobody knows. They are not right, rightly judged by the world, they are not rightly judged by themselves. It's a fact. Let's go back. So, first, the world cannot know you. Okay? Second, 1 John chapter 3 verse 13. What does it say? Do not marvel, brethren, my, if the world <laughs> hates you. <laughs> Boy, they have to hate you. I, I remember Art Cads, you know? In one of his messages saying, he was sitting in his cafeteria not speaking one word. No witnessing and speaking the gospel. He was just sitting and having his coffee. You know what one of his colleagues came and told him? Your very presence condemns me, she says. He was shocked. He said, what did I do? That's exactly what happened to Joseph's brothers, right? They hated him. 
you know what? Who loves you? Who has affections on you? Has a telling influence on who you actually are? <laughs> Spiritually? Do you know that? The number of followers and the kind of followers you have is actually a telling influence or, or a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a parameter to judge the world inside of you. The parameter of the world can be judged by the kind of the friends who love you or hate you. It's interesting for to Paul, no? Everyone in Asia have forsaken me. Demas having loved this present age left me. Where are you, Paul? In my first defense, nobody stood with me. That is Paul. So don't get excited with the number of followers that you have. In Twitter or otherwise. And the likes and dislikes that you get on Facebook. Likes and the not likes. And in fact, if you get dislikes, great. Like, like, like the other day, we were doing the Google and YouTube analytics on our, on our YouTube channel. And finally, Sammy said, praise God. I said, why? We are getting dislikes. I said, thank you, Jesus. That's the, that's the parameter. That's the parameter. The moment we get dislikes, then we know. You should not get dislikes because of being obnoxious. That's the reason why he says they should not, they should, you should not be beaten because of the sin. But if for righteousness, righteousness sake, if you are being beaten up, then it is commendable before God. For to this you were called. <clears throat> for Christ also suffered leaving as an example. That we should follow in his footsteps. He was the Padri who became our Madri. Without subtitles, okay? <laughs> and the fourth, the third one. So the world will hate us. The third one. 1 John chapter 3 verse 17. <clears throat> but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need. What do you have? Ah, how you hold on to these world's goods is another parameter whether you love the world or you hate the world. That is what I said, what pastor was saying. Are you a steward? Steward. Man, let us ask God for the spirit of stewardship, no? Really. All of us have to be challenged because those are the most important things. All that you achieve in life ultimately is not as important as the character that God is developing inside of us. God can use a donkey. But the problem is that can a donkey become a lamb? The ultimate product is important. That's what it says in, if you turn with me to Romans 15, 13, if I'm right. If I'm right. If I'm right. Oh no, please, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, help me, help me, help me. I will not dare speak of anything except what the Lord. Please, Lord. Eighteen, okay. Ah, thank you. 15. Thank you, doctor. We need a doctor in our midst. That's Luke for us. Okay. Luke was already always there, okay, with Paul. So we have a Luke in our midst. Maybe we'll call his baptism name as Luke. We don't know. <laughs> uh, doctor Luke. Okay. Romans chapter fifteen, verse eighteen. For I do not dare. Look at those beautiful words. Okay. Just let's kiss these words when you, like, um, Cad says, salivate in your mouth when you look at these words. For I would dare not speak of 
any of those things which Christ is not. Boy, what a challenge, man. What a challenge. Mm-hmm. So the next one. How you hold on to the world's goods. Are very, it's a significant, how, that, that's how you know whether you love the world or not. Why did the rich young ruler go away? There was a huge amount of world's goods inside of him. Inside of his house. And what did Jesus say? Sell everything and come. By the way, Jesus doesn't say those things to everybody, okay? He knows exactly what your problem is. For example, he looked at that guy, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. How do you know? I know. Okay. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has not no better no place to lay your head. Meaning, so, uh, first of all, I don't have any. I, I cannot give you any worldly guarantee. Second thing, in your heart there is no place for me. Foxes have their holes and birds of the air have their nests in your heart. Son of man has no place in your heart. So, what are you coming and telling me that you're going to follow me? Hmm? And then he looks at uh, the other guy who says, "Let me go and say tata to my mummy and papa." He says, "Let the dead bury the. You come and follow me." One guy says, "I will follow you." He says, "Don't." The other guy says, you follow me, but do this way. But every God knows everybody's world's goods. And he says, don't let them consume it. Okay. <laughs> Some, okay, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart, how does the love of God abide in him? 1 John chapter 3 verse 17. Okay. So how do you handle the goods that God has given you? Are you a good steward? Are you also... It's also important how we deal with other people's resources, right? That's what it says in Luke's Gospel chapter 16. If you are not faithful in what other people's, why will God give you your own? Okay. All these principles are important. Next, 1 John chapter 4 verse 3. Look at this. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the... Ah! I'll tell you what that means. Whenever they preach, the word of God is preached, they will say, it is impossible to live like this. You know what they are denying? That Jesus Christ came in the flesh. In the days of his flesh, he was tempted in all areas, but he overcame the world, right? He says, be of good cheer, for I have overcome this world. The spirit of Antichrist denies that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, meaning, it says it is impossible to live the, the life that is being asked for us. Who said? Who said? Who said? That is the spirit of the Antichrist. Antichrist, bold, don't, bold, don't just think, okay, one day that fellow will come and, and rule over the world. That is already there. The Antichrist spirit is already there which says it is impossible to live this Christian life. Absolutely, you're, you're right. But by the power of the word of God, by the gospel and by the power of the Holy Spirit, it is absolutely possible to live this life. Otherwise, our preaching is in vain. That is the spirit of this world. The spirit of Antichrist. 1 John chapter 4 verses 4 and 6, 4 to 6 rather, 4 to 6. 4 to 6. And these things we write to you that your joy may be, may be full. Verse 5 and 6 will say, this is the message which you have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness as, at all. 
4, 4, bro. 4, 4. 1 John chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. Kya baat hai? It's beautiful. He who is not of God does not. Whoever accepts the message of the cross are those people who are not of the world. So, how do we know? The kind of message you are preaching and the kind of people who are accepting your message is how we know Who's of the world and who's not of the world? The guy who preaches the word and you see who are the kind of people who are accepting this message. You know it. Prosperity brother. You know. And the kind of people who accept that word. Also you know. So we are of God. He who knows God hears us. Why? This is talking about apostolic doctrine. Who's talking about this? John the apostle is saying, he whoever is of God will hear us, not as that of his who resisted us. There's a spirit of diatrophus in the church. And you know who spoke about the spirit of diatrophus? I heard the very first time in my life, one man who actually, I've never, nobody actually preaches about diatrophus, right? One man preached a one hour, 15 minute sermon on diatrophus. And you know from where he is? He's from the Metropolitan Tabernacle where Spurgeon was. And he, you know, who is he now? It's an Arab who's leading the congregation. It's an Arab pastor. The first time I heard about the spirit of diatrophus was from, the, from that pastor, from an Arab pastor. How he says that the people who hate the message of the cross have the spirit of diatrophus. They resist the apostolic doctrine. What does the doctrine say? Oh, my dear brothers and sisters, with many words he exhorted them that to be saved from this, what generation? From this perverse generation. And those who, ah, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Those who gladly received the word were baptized. Oh no, the world is getting destroyed. That is not the way you receive it. This is getting destroyed. (laughs) I don't want to have any part of it. That's the reason why I remember. Lot's wife. Turn back. Those who gladly received the word, they were baptized and they gathered together daily for the apostles doctrine and for the teaching, for, for fellowship, for baking of bread and for prayer. And those people who resist this kind of teaching, they are from the world. You need to understand, this is the spirit of this age. Wherever you see the apostles' doctrine being preached, and wherever you see the resistance, you know who is of God and who is of this world. That is how he says, he who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is how we know it. 
those people who love truth what what will they do they say you know what speak more brother speak about my condition tell me what i am what am i am i a proud guy don't i receive correction tell me tell me tell me they they always love truth that's what it says in second thessalonians chapter 2 verse 11 because they did not receive the love of truth what did god give them over to a strong delusion that they should believe a lie and they should be destroyed and it says in the last days many will fall away they will apostatize they will divorce the faith they will fall away apostatize this is how we know that we are of the world another place i'm going to, i'm going to show, i already showed you 1 2 3 4 5 how many should i show you seven thank you very much okay uh, 1 john chapter 5 verse 4 now hmm. <laughs> yeah whatever is born of god overcomes the world this is how you know that you are of the world when you overcome the world you say no I, i you have this discernment what is of the world and what is of the devil what is of god that's what jesus looks at peter and says get thee behind me satan for you are not mindful of the things of god but of things of man <laughs> it's amazing that means if you have a carnal mind you have a mind of the devil carnal mind is the enemy of god right <clears throat> and overcomes the world and this is the victory that overcomes the world what our faith for whatsoever born of god overcomes the world and this is the uh, uh, this is the victory that overcomes the world uh, the our faith and finally revelation chapter 11 verse 15 i love this then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our lord and savior jesus christ you know what that means we know that one day the kingdoms of this world are going to become the kingdoms of our lord and savior jesus christ therefore our eyes are on the unseen and not on the seen therefore we walk by faith and not by sight our eyes are on the unseen and not on the seen colossians chapter 3 verse 1 and 2 in the niv for the 275th time in the last 44 days if i'm right and that's only a conservative number if it's um, not a conservative number it's an hyperbole okay no problem since then we have been raised with christ set your hearts on things above where christ is seated at the right hand of the father that means one day the kingdoms of this world will be the kingdoms of the lord and savior jesus christ set your minds on things above and not on earthly things and goes on to say do not return it says put to death everything that is what earthly in you thank you doctor 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 is like is spot on today is look for sure okay he is putting to death everything that is of earth inside of you all those desires and you're perfecting holiness in the fear of god that means you know that one day you know daniel saw that vision no what is the first vision oh you have the gold first and then you have silver next and then you have what brass next that is first to starts for the babylonians then medes and persians third for the greek and then you have iron which stands for the roman empire and then finally you have the feet iron mixed with clay and then you know what happened there was a small stone which is cut without hands and it went and crushed the feet of of clay and brass or whatever iron and what happened the whole thing became it just came crashing down and this small stone became what a huge mountain which is essentially the kingdom of god 
the kingdom of God of the of this world. You know what it tells me? The entire kingdom of the world, no matter how solid it looks on the outside, look if you look at the foundations, it's so so slow, slippery. It can fall just like that. It's so absolutely unmovable foundations. It's on slippery slopes, and one day it's going to be crushed by God, and it's going to come come tumbling down. You look at the gold, you look at the brass, you look at the silver, and you look at the strength of the Roman Empire. You look at the strength of the military of all these people. But with that once, all the strength that they have, they're not able to tackle one small virus. And one day, God, you know what God is going to do? He's going to take that stone, crush the feet, and everything is going to come tumbling down. That is a slippery slope towards idolatry. So we identify how we know, how we have idols in our heart, right? We know what if you are of the world and if you are not of the world. So let us look at one example today. Whom should we look at? The guy who slipped into idolatry, began well, slipped into idolatry. Extremely well, slipped into idolatry. Debaucherous idolatry. Yeah, thank you so much, doctor. You're on full form today. First Chronicles, first Chronicles chapter 28. <laughs> full form learner, doctor. <laughs> He's got the spirit of Luke inside of him today. <laughs> chapter 28, verse 9 onwards, bro. 9. As for you, my son Solomon. Who's saying this? There is a Know the God of your father. What is that? Know the God of your father. Meaning, those don't rely upon the faith of your father. Know the God of your father. And it is a absolute essential for everybody. You cannot just know the God of your pastor. I mean, you, you cannot rely upon your pastor. You should know the God of your pastor. You should know the God of your elders. You should know the God of your father. Moses, my servant, is dead. He says... In Joshua chapter 1. But now you, as I was with Moses, so I am also with you. Abraham is gone. And Isaac wants to go to Egypt. And God appears to Abraham. So to Isaac. Now the God of Abraham has become the God of Isaac. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and Moses has to become everyone's God. That is the reason why in the new covenant it says nobody will teach the other person know the Lord but everyone will know from where to where? From the least to the greatest. Everyone will know. You understand that? So, 1st Chronicles chapter 28 verse 9. As for you my son Solomon, know the God of your father. First, know him. Don't serve somebody whom you don't know. The problem is, many people worship the God whom they don't know. How do I know? <laughs> Look at their songs. Really? Not modern day songs? How shallow they are, no? All feelings. So the other day, uh, Peter and I were sitting with a <laughs> songbook. I said, this, let's go to the hymn, hymn pages, no? So many hymns you don't know. And they're so powerful. So many hymns. 
And you look at the modern day lyrics, many of them, very few of them which have real depth. Okay. They do not know whom they are serving. They, even if they serve, they are serving the figment of their own imagination. If you look at the, some of the modern songs, sad to say, I listen to some of the Telugu, modern Telugu songs. Oh, everything is the same. And the same tune, same music, same lyrics. Everybody puts lyrics. It's like, you know, they have the same number of words and the same number, they put in those words in different, different fashions and they sing the same song. Maybe they'll get some synonyms here and there. They'll go to the dictionary. Okay, this is, uh, this word is already used. Let me use a synonym. You see that? It's a sad state. Really? You want to see some of the old songs? Boy, you should see the kind of depth they had. What we sing in the modern day, oof, the sad thing is that good song, but no depth. No depth. Sorry to say. Compare your songs with some of our old hymn writers. I'm not saying that you should have the same level of language, but you have the same level of depth. The problem is you don't have depth because you don't have language. And you don't have language because you don't have depth in God. And every time you search for God, you know what happens? Your language becomes better. You know that? Because, I'll tell you, simply because in order to understand God, you need to be going deeper in God and to express God, you need to be deep in your language. Because words cannot express. Words itself are not sufficient to to describe God. And the problem is in this, we have a very limited vocabulary in Christendom. See. So... Sad state of affairs. I'm sorry. I'm telling you honestly. And that is the reason why I feel, I feel many of the Christian songs are idolatry. It's not worship. Why? It's worshiping self. They don't serve him. So he says, as for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father. When you know the God of your father. Okay. I'm not saying that you should have a PhD from Eflu or uh, from uh, Telugu University. I'm not saying that. But you start searching God. He will force, He will force you to describe Him. It says the Spirit Himself utters words with groanings that cannot be uttered. How dare we think that we can find words to describe God? And how dare we think that we have sufficient vocabulary to describe Him? Think about that. What says thou? <laughs> Unfortunate it is. Anyway, so as for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father. Serve him how? With a loyal heart. Can you have the NASB also here? And a willing mind. With a perfect heart, it says. Oh yeah, with a whole heart. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart. I love that word. Whole heart. Matlab, don't have any divisions in your heart in as far as God is concerned. Complete attention towards God. 
complete heart and a willing mind. Another translation if you have, which says a perfect heart. Wholehearted devotion. Yeah, fine. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father. Which translation is this, bro? NIV. So, uh, yeah, yeah, this is KJV. Thank you so much. And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father and serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind. Perfect means complete. That's exactly what it means. A whole, wholeheartedly, completely. That means you have to have this kind of a total devotion to Christ and God is making all of us into that, into that wholeness. But we are all in that journey at different levels. Some people have graduated and have gone much, much ahead of God from us. But that does not mean that we should not be on this journey. We should say one of the ways that we know that we are on this journey is when we are inclined towards it. Our inclination is what matters. When we are obtuse to spiritual things, indifferent to spiritual things, then we know whether we have a carnal mind or a willing mind. As much as I can search in my heart, Lord, my my heart, as much as I, I know, Lord, I love you with all of my heart, Lord. And wherever I know there is broken, I mean, where, is, where, where I'm fragmented, Lord, you make me whole so that I can love you wholeheartedly. That is, what, that is the reason why it says, circumcise therefore your hearts. And he says, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts. But both of us have to do it together. You circumcise your hearts and when do you do it? When do you do it? When did Abraham do it? He says, Abraham, walk thou before me and be thou perfect. Tamam. That's a word. Tamam. Be perfect. Okay. That means he's telling, he's telling, he's telling Solomon, 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 let there be no divisions in your heart. No place for any other person other than God in your heart. Look at that. Serve God with a perfect heart and a willing mind for the Lord searcheth what? All the hearts. That's the reason why the word of God is quick and powerful. Dividing the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, discerner and the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And everything is laid naked before him to whom we have to give an account. You come with that attitude, let the word of God begin to search you and show the areas in your life where you are not devoted to him. Ask God, my dear brothers, ask God before this lockdown is over, let us there be at least a semblance of unison in our heart, this, that our heart is less divided than before, if not completely united. To the best of our knowledge. Why did God give us a little more time? <laughs> Says June 3rd now. Why? Why? I believe so. I believe that we will go through this process in the wilderness and we will search and allow the word of God to search our hearts, will show us what our priorities are, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we spend our resources, how much we value God, how much we value resources, how much we value the, the, the counsel that we receive from the eldership and how much we want to apply the counsel that we, that we have received into our lives. We just don't want to answer questions. We don't want to ask questions. We want to apply the solutions that has been given to us, if particularly the solutions are from the word of God. Even if it is difficult, if, if it's, that's the reason why it says, if there be first a what mind, 
a willing mind. It is not according to what one does not have, but according to what one already has. There is an element of faith inside of you. And ask God, my dear brothers, ask God. We all of us ask God and say, Lord, this month, oh Lord, we have given us an extension for another one month till June third, whatever it is, oh Lord, grant me the grace so that I'll sit with you and I will be with you on my face before God. Search the scriptures, search my heart, and allow God to search my search my heart. That's the reason why He says, "I, the Lord, the Lord searches the hearts and understands all the imaginations." KJV is so beautiful. What you imagine. It says in Genesis chapter 6, every thought and imagination of the heart was evil. How? Continuously. He says, the Lord searches the hearts, understands all the imaginations of the thoughts, or in other words, the intentions of the thoughts, in other words, the imaginations of the thought. I mean, the thought has an imagination. Why did you get this thought? Because you're imagining something. Have you seen, have you ever seen that? When, you, the, when the thought comes, you already imagine a scenario? Hey, has it happened to you? Oh my goodness, so many times it has happened to me. And I hated that imagination. And I was, I would think, Lord, how could I even think such, such horrible thoughts, Lord? Horrible! How could I even think, Lord? And I'm not even convicted sometimes. Hmm. Think, think, think on these things, my dear brothers. May the Lord give us understanding. For the Lord searcheth the hearts, understands all the imaginations of the thoughts, and he says, if thou seek him, he will be fond of thee, but if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off for what? Ever? What a tremendous warning! What a tremendous warning! And verse 10. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and... That's exactly what God has called us this this year. What is that? Rise up and build. Consider now all of us who are listening here in the within the sound of my voice. God has chosen us to build a house for the sanctuary. What should we do? Be strong and do it. Do. It's not, it's not the hearers of the word which are justified before God, but the doers of the word who are considered righteous before God. This is not what Romans chapter 2 verse 9 say. It says that, right? Romans chapter 2 verse 9. 8 and 9 or something. Nine, no, no, I think 10 and 11, something. Something like that. Romans, just see, uh, it's not a... Oh, no, no. 10, 10, 10. 11? Oh. Yeah. 13, 13. It is. For, for it is not the hearers of the law who are justified before the sight of God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. It's truth. Romans chapter 2 verse 13. Go back. Second, First Chronicles chapter 28. Read Chronicles. Read Kings. You know, read through the Old Testament, no, this month, this year. I mean, read through the Bible. Read through, read through the Bible and ask God to search your heart. Okay. Then God gave his son Solomon the plans of the vestibule, its houses, its treasuries. Verse 12. This, then, first chronicles, bro. First chronicles. And the plans 
for all that he had by the who gave that to whom i'll show you um again turn to first chronicles first chronicles first chronicles i love the beautiful rendering uh first chronicles first chronicles first chronicles sorry first yeah first chronicles chapter number Where is that? Number mm. where it says the hand of the Lord was upon him, and okay, don't worry about it. Mm. If it's not there, it's okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's uh, uh, chapter twenty-eight and verse nineteen and twenty. All this said the Lord. Uh, all this said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the works of these plans. Who gave the plans to God? To David? God gave the plans. Who gave the plans as to how to build the temple of God, the house of God in the new covenant? To whom did God give? To Jesus. And the, and the church is built upon the foundations of the apostles and the prophets and Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The blueprint has been given to us. And what should you do? Be strong and do it. And in order to be strong and do it, what should we have? Verse 9 of 28-9. We should have a perfect heart and a willing mind. And we have to allow the God to search our hearts. To understand the imaginations of every thought. And we have to seek him. And then we will find him. If you do not, for, if you forsake him, he will also forsake us. Tremendous warning. Tremendous warning. So what does the great man Solomon do? First Kings chapter 3 verse 4. Now learning from Solomon. Onwards, okay. Now the king went to Gibeon to a sac- to sacrifice. Therefore, there was a great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Man, he was full uh, throttle. Okay, gas on the pedal. I mean, pedal on the gas. Huh? What, what is that? What's that term? The fit on the pedal. Full throttle. Okay, he went full throttle. I hope he went like this all the way. No, but he was like this fire, which went came like this bush, and it's gone. Hmm? At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon. In a dream by night. And God said, ask, what shall I give you? And you know what he asks? He asks righteousness, uprightness of heart, all the great, great things he asks. And verse 11. Then God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked life of your enemies, your, your, your is not there. But you have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before, nor shall anyone like you arise after you. 
bah, and the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. But the problem is, how are you going to be, uh, are you going to be a what? Thank you. That's the word. Are you going to be a steward of the wisdom and the understanding that God has given you? Ultimately, life is about stewardship. Yesterday, that was one pearl of great price. What a pearl it was, no? Shucks, man. It just opened my eyes like that. I said, boy, little, little things in my life. I started examining. I said, what, what is this, Lord? How do I waste this? I waste that. I waste money here. I don't take care of things as the way I am supposed to take care of things, right? Probing. It's not getting a data science degree from Purdue and knowing all the, all the algorithms. That also will go. If it is big data, now it's become going to become big data. And then what? You, what should you have then? Another degree from another university? What says though? I wonder sometimes why MIT puts open courseware. I think they know that it's useless now. They've already gone ahead. <laughs> Whenever something is free, then we should say, is it worth it now? But data science? Oh, you have to pay through your nose. Anyway, that's just besides the point. Behold, I have done according to your words. God has given the gifts. God has given the resources. What are you supposed to become now? A steward. Thank you. And then, God appears appears to him how many times? Do you know? How many times does God appear to him? Twice. Okay. After he dedicates a temple and he prays this fabulous prayer. Remember, a fabulous prayer is over. Remember, it's, it's recorded in Second Chronicles chapter seven. Also recorded in First Chronicles chapter First Kings chapter eight. The dedication is done. The glory of God comes and fills the temple. The priests are not go, able to go into the thing, and God's fire comes and consumes the sacrifice. All those things happen, and then in First Kings chapter nine, let's read from verse one. And this is where I believe something should have happened to this man. I'll tell you why. Where did the Lord appear to him? First, first Kings chapter 3, verse 4. Right? First Kings chapter 3, verse 4, the Lord appeared to him the first time in a dream. Just before you go to First Kings chapter 9, verse 1, just go to First Kings chapter 3, verse 1. What does it say? Ah? Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and Marrow married Pharaoh's daughter. Oh, 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 we'll come to that, okay? We'll come to what does that word treaty mean? And you will see something incredible today for the first time, maybe, for you and for me. And maybe others, I don't know, they might have already heard it, but today we will see what that means. Anyways, let's go to First Kings chapter 9. It's significant for us too. God appears to him in 3, 4, 9, 1, and before 3, 4, and 9, 1, 3, 1 happens. Okay. And it came to pass when Solomon had finished building the house of the house of the Lord and the king's house and all of Solomon's desires which he wanted to do. That means 20 years is over. 7 years for the king's house, for the house of the Lord and 13 years for his own house. Whose help did he take? Hiram. King of Tyre. And what did he give to him in, in exchange? 
ट्वेंटी सिटीज नॉर्थ ऑफ इज़राइल एंड व्हाट डिड हिराम कॉल देम यूजलेस वर्थलेस थिंग्स ही कॉल देम काबुल व्हाट आर यू गिविंग इन एक्सचेंज सिटीज विल कम टू दैट लेटर ऑन small 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 things baba dangerous things will happen in life the little little details the devil is always in the detail one detail already given you anyways 1 kings chapter 9 verse 1 and it came to pass when solomon had finished building the house of the lord and the king's house and all solomon's desire which he wanted to do then the lord appeared to solomon the second time as he appeared to him at gibeon so seven years for the house of the lord whose blueprint was given to him by his father so he didn't even have to have an architect he just had to implement the plan 13 years for his own house magnificent and you know what he had to do to do that build that house come to that later on The Lord appeared to Solomon. I mean, I'm just holding myself. Okay, I'm just don't want to go ahead of myself. Okay, I just want to unpack it a little slowly. The Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And then what happens? And the Lord said to him, "I heard your prayer and your supplication that you have made before me. I have consecrated this house which you have built to put my name there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. But all promises of God are what with a condition. Look at the next." now if the big word the big if if you walk before me as your father david walked in integrity of heart in uprightness integrity ante god made integers all else is a work of man be not in other words without any division without with an undivided whole heart you follow me solomon to the best of your ability you follow me with all of your heart that you use all the resources that i've given you and become a steward of the every minute thing that i've given you and say how can i use this for the extension of god's kingdom use that that is what we call as the integrity of heart integrity of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that i have commanded you and if you keep my statutes and my judgments then i will establish the throne of your kingdom over israel for ever in other words you know what solomon you applying this exhortation that i've given you is going to be so crucial to the future generations you mess up here solomon your future generations is going to get messed up because for you are not going to live forever people can can come and say oh king live forever but you know that you are never going to live forever that is all raja chiranjeevi avunu gaaka actors also called chiranjeevi that's not his original name chiranjeevi means he's going to live forever where in the hearts of people okay that's what they say oh king live forever raja amar rahe koi amar nahi hai baba the hell has enlarged its mouth and they're all there amar <laughs> there <laughs> for sure they are amar there in hell in integrity of heart and uprightness to do according to all that i have commanded you and if you keep my statutes and my judgments then i will establish your king over israel israel forever meaning you taking this exhortation seriously you know what we have to take every exhortation seriously every exhortation for example one of one of the exhortations that we constantly we don't just think about ourselves we think about the next generation 
the decisions that we take as parents or as elders in the church and in our families, in the families and in our church in that order, is going to be so crucial for the perpetual, the, for the spiritual posterity of the coming ages. For the perpetuating of the spiritual posterity in the coming ages, in the coming days. Our decisions are so crucial. Otherwise, you know what? It will stop here. That's exactly what even Moses said. Moses said, Lord, I'm going to be gone. I pray that Lord that you would raise up another shepherd who will go out and in before Israel so that Israel will not be like a sheep without a shepherd. And you know what God said? Okay, take Joshua now. Moses had a Joshua. What did Joshua have? Our decisions. That is the reason why you know what Paul tells Timothy. The things that I have commanded you. Entrust it into faithful men. Who are able to teach others also. Four generations there. So the decisions that we take right now. The decisions. The spiritual decisions that we take. Because iniquity forefathers. Baba, why not spiritual DNA? Why not? Oh, God will sovereign. He will pick up. But you do what you are supposed to do. Leave the rest to the sovereignty of God. We are not going to twist the arm of God. But we will say, Lord, raise up, Lord. Raise up, raise up, raise up. It should not stop with us. What are we, Lord? We are gone. We are here today, gone tomorrow. But your work should not stop. That's exactly what happened to even Hezekiah. The spirit of Hezekiah was when God just withdrew his presence to test him. He showed everything. And what did Isaiah come and say? Everything is going to go. Oh, it's not going to happen in my time. Shame on you, Hezekiah. Such a godly king. What an attitude. We have studied your 15 years of your life. Created a Manasseh and messed up Israel. Judah. Anyway. So then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever. You shall not fail to have a man on this throne of Israel. You see that? And the next what happens? But if you, your sons, at all turn from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have said before you, but go and serve other gods to worship them, then I will cut off. Verse 9. Then they will answer, because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and have embraced other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this calamity on them. This is the exhortation that Paul, that God gives. Who? What should have Solomon done? You know what he should have done? He should have written a psalm. You know what? At least he should have, if you have, hasn't written a psalm, you should have taken a psalm and have sung it. You know what that psalm should have been? Psalm 19, verse 12 to 14. What is that? How does it start? Who can understand his errors, God? You know what it says? The, the word false is in italics, by the way, in your original translation. You see that? Psalm 19, verse 12. If it's in italics, what does it mean? It's not there. So let us, let us read, let us read it without italics. Is it there in italics, bro? Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from 
from secrets. In other words, cleanse my secrets, Lord. What I am in secret, what am I thinking in secret, the Lord who sees you in secret will reward you openly. And then you know, you should have said, Lord, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins, Lord. Let them not have dominion over me, Lord. They should have prayed this. If an exhortation like that comes, what will you do? Oh boy, you should pray. If you forsake me, this is what is going to happen. And you say, Lord, please, Lord. You know what, what Jesus said, one of you will betray me today. And what did everybody say? He said, me, because everybody should recognize a Judas inside of them. Everyone. You know, when we are, when we are, the question and answer sessions have been, have been, uh, it's a probing of my own heart. Do you know that? Like listening to all that, I'm, and I'm just taking this a lot. What about my heart? What about my heart, Lord? What about my heart? What about my heart? It's not for information, right? It's for a probing, right? You probe our hearts and say, Lord. Check my heart, Lord. Is there any presumptuous sin? Is there this propensity to... Lord, can you keep me from that error, please, Lord? Please, Lord. It never says that Solomon prayed like that, is it? Never. But David, on the contrary, <laughs> who wrote this song? David. That is the reason why it says, you were every time you see, whenever you are a king of Judah, by the way, what is the difference between kings and chronicles? Why do we have two accounts? If, they, if I were to ask you that question, readers of the word of God. The kings is an account of the kings of Israel and Judah. Chronicles is only the account of the kings of Judah. It starts with Saul, the end of Saul, David, Solomon onwards. Nothing except for the interjections of the Israeli, the kings of Israel into the life of Judah. Nothing of the record of the kings of Israel is given. It's completely the king of Judah, kings of Judah. That itself is a lesson for all of us. Okay. Because you know what, you know what happened to the northern kingdom? Jeroboam, son of Nebath, finished, gone. Went from bad to worse. Okay, you should have said, Lord, keep your servant from presumptions. Let them not have what? Dominion. Oh, sin shall not have dominion over us. Who wrote it? Paul wrote it. Who really prayed it? David prayed it. Isn't it interesting? Paul wrote it. David prayed it. I love that. And Paul wrote it because I believe David prayed it. But how is our prayer? Presumptuous sins? Presumptuous sins, Lord? Lord, presumptuous sin? That is sins of pride, essentially. That, okay, I can do whatever I want. I can go against authority. I can do whatever I want. As a Nothing's going to happen to me. Presumptuous sins. That is what it, what, what it means. Presumptuous comes from the Hebrew word, which means haughty. Haughty. Then I shall be blameless. Then I shall be innocent of great. He should have prayed that. 
But on the contrary, did he pray? No. Now let us come back to the slippery slope to idolatry. We should start with the start. Obviously, no. Because the start is a determination of the end. Where is the start? First Kings chapter 3 verse 1. That is the start. Now Solomon made a treaty. Okay? Put it in NASB. Then Solomon formed a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Uh, NLT. Is it? it? Made an alliance. I like that. That's the word actually. Alliance with Pharaoh. He did not make a, he didn't marry the daughter of Pharaoh. He made an alliance with who? Pharaoh. You know what the word in Hebrew is? He makes, he made himself a khatan or, or actually the rendering is to make oneself a son-in-law. <laughs> That's what it means. To make oneself a son-in-law by marrying his daughter. Where does, where does this appear for the first time? You don't have to turn there. It appears in the Bible in Genesis chapter 34 when Shechem comes and violates uh, Dina. He goes and tells his people and says, let us make marriages with them. That's a word. In other words, let us give ourselves to become their sons-in-law and let us make them our sons-in-law. That is essentially the idea over here. To make yourselves one's sons-in-law. Who's going to be a son-in-law now? Solomon? Yara, or not a son-in-law? You who are, sorry, father-in-law? The devil is your father-in-law. It's amazing. And I remember no, so vividly in my life, no, I think uh, Abigail was four years old. Because she keeps hearing, no, you should not get married to an unbeliever. You should not get married to an unbeliever is what we, we keep on preaching in every Bible study. In some, every message we get this alliance thing keeps on coming. So she was four years old. When we were having dinner, she said, Papa, why should I not get married to an unbeliever? I said, oh, four years old. I mean, what is wrong? If I get married to an unbeliever, I didn't know what to answer and how to answer. Then I went to my source of wisdom. Of course, that is pastor. <laughs> I said, pastor, what do I say? He said, Vijay, answer very simple. Tell, whenever you marry an unbeliever, your father-in-law will be Satan. Okay. Go and ask Abigail. Abigail, do you want your father-in-law to be Satan? She will say, naturally, no. That is the reason why you should not marry an unbeliever. Kya baat hai? This is what we call as arrow. Chinna paamayna perra pedda karroto gotali. You know what they saying in Telugu? Chinna paamayna pedda karroto gotali ante. Even if it's a small snake, you need a huge stick to beat it. A snake is a snake. As we heard Cyril Naima saying, no? It's a viper in the diaper. <laughs> okay. So I got equipped with my big stick and went back home. Abigail, come here, come here, come here. You know why you should not get married to an unbeliever? If you get married to an unbeliever, Satan is going to become your father-in-law. What is father-in-law? Like your mother? 
your mother's father, he is my father-in-law. Now, if you get married to an unbeliever, it is not going to be Tata, it is going to be Satan. Oh, no, 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 no. Finished, over. Case closed. From that day onwards till now, she is absolutely thoroughly convinced. What happened to you, my dear Solomon? Who is your son-in-law, father-in-law? You made yourself son-in-law with who? Pharaoh. Adina, I'm not a start. There is another guy who made himself son-in-law of somebody. He was called the priest of Midian. Who is that? Moses. Priest of Midian. Son-in-law. Who? The deliverer of Israel. He was son-in-law of the priest of strife. Midian means strife. And you should see the affinity he has toward his father-in-law. Bah! Turn to Exodus chapter 18. Because see, I skipped Exodus 19 and 20 to get back to 18. I mean, so I skipped, I did still 17, okay. I skipped 18, I went to 19 and 20, so we are coming back to 18. We don't want to miss anything, right, in Exodus. So this is a very, very interesting episode from which we will learn some valuable lessons. Exodus chapter 18. Now, Yetro, the priest of Midian, the first time the word priest is mentioned is when priest Melchizedek is mentioned. The second time it is mentioned, it is priest of Midian is mentioned. First is Melchizedek, <laughs> then the priest of Midian is mentioned. What is Melchizedek is the priest of Shalem and Yetro the priest of Midian. Moses is Khatan. That's a word. Okay. Who's your Khatan? Satan for Solomon. And uh, who's your Khatan? Yetro the priest of Midian. For uh, Mr. Moses, the deliverer of Israel. So Yetro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel's people, that the Lord has brought Israel out of Egypt. Okay, he heard, very good. And then, then Yetro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back. Oh, that is interesting. When did he send her back, Baba? When did you send her I'll tell you. Turn to Exodus chapter 4. We know this episode very well. Verse 24 onwards. <laughs> and it came to pass on the way at the encampment, it says in other translations, at the inn, at the place of lodging, that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. We don't know what was happening there. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet. And she said, surely you are a husband of blood to me. And then goes on. So he let him go. Who let him go? God let him go. Then she said, you are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. Then the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. It's very interesting between 26 and 27. After this, you don't hear the account of Zipporah anymore. Finished. Over. Here, he sent her back. 
He said, Baba, I don't know if I take you now, how many times the Lord will say, try, try to kill me. I don't want you to be in my, with me. Please, please. Uh, I don't know. Uh, please go back. The first step itself, uh, God sought to kill me. Now, if I continue like this, I don't know what's going to happen to you. Because of things that the Lord is going to rot, whether you have the patience to endure all the signs and wonders and miracles, please. You don't have the mark of separation in your life. You cannot be a person who's going to deliver the people who have the mark of separation. I don't know. That's what I feel. After this, you don't see the account of Zipporah. After this, you'll have the next episode, next episode, chapter 18. She went back to Micah. She went to her mother-in-law, I'm sorry, mother's place, and she lived there. Till when? Till when? Till the deliverance of the Israelites from out of Egypt. That means she was not a part of it. Was she a part of it? No. It says all the children were baptized into Moses. All passed through the Red Sea. All were baptized into the cloud and in the wilderness. All ate the same spiritual food. All ate the same spiritual drink until Exodus chapter 17. All fought with the Amalekites and Madam comes in 18. Madam enters in 18 with her father-in-law. Sorry, with her father. Or her father-in-law brings back. What were you? Where were you? So she doesn't have the experience of salvation at all, in other words. It's a picture of salvation, right? Where Did you come under the blood of the Passover lamb? No. Did you eat the Passover lamb? No. Were you baptized in the Red Sea? No. Were you baptized in the cloud? No. Did you eat the manna? No. Did you eat the, the, the drink that came from the rock? No. Did you fight the Amalekites? No. Now you want to become a part of God's people and you want to give an advice. Be careful. Be careful, my dear brothers. The question you need to ask, that's the reason why, why do we, where do we say, why do we say that you cannot be unequally yoked with an unbeliever simply because those people don't have a salvation experience. They do not have any idea as to what it means to be under the bondage of sin and what it means to be, be, conf- be, be confronted with the Holy God and what it means to die to self, what it means to eat the food which is the bread of, bread of life, which is the word of God. It doesn't mean what, what it means to drink of the spiritual drink. They don't have any of these experiences and how can you become unequally yoked with them my dear brothers and sisters oh I fell in love what love is that what love is that what love is that one of the things that you have to ask if all the unmarried young men I'm saying whenever you have a potential fiance or or an alliance that is coming to you you have to ask that person can you tell me how you met God What is your testimony? What is your testimony? Then she says, you know what? I was in bondage to sin. 
I was, I was a slave to sin. I was a slave of this world. Then one day God met me. And he told me, you know what? I died for your sins. So by faith in the blood of the Passover lamb, I accepted Jesus into my heart and I got baptized. I had died to this world. And I started eating the food, the manna. I love this food. And I drank that water, the spiritual water. I'm fighting the Amalekites. I'm fighting the flesh. None of those experiences. Oh, she looks so beautiful. She's Zipporah. A bird. Think about it, no? If prospective brides and bridegrooms were to ask these questions to each other before they get married, how different things would have been. Otherwise, you are a husband of blood to me. Why? Because of the circumcision. And what does Moses do? Obesiency comes, father, father-in-law comes, oh, your father-in-law has come, okay. Sir goes and prostrates himself. Shaka, he does. You know the first word, the word, the word Shaka appears in the Bible. When the three men come to Abraham's tent, the first time Abraham runs and does prostrate before, the same he does. Okay, fine, you have to give honor to whom honor is due. That is what Romans chapter 13 verse says. I agree. But the problem is something is going to happen here now. This man, he is a management graduate from, uh, what is that? Wharton School of Business. He's got incredible HR skills. And he's going to give HR skills management to Sir Moses. And he says, if this thing is from God, you should obey it. We'll come to that. A little later. But the problem is this. Think about it. Who are our friends? Who are our acquaintances? To whom do we give obeisance? You know, this problem with Moses is this. I'll show you another place. Turn to Numbers chapter 11, verse 10 to 17. Hmm. Is another small, 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 small episodes. 10, I think. So just hold on. 10, 10, no? 10, 10, 10 to 17. Numbers chapter 10. Yeah. Just, just give me a minute, please. I can't. 10, 29. 10, 29, Sammy. 10, 29. 10, 10, 29. Yeah. Now Moses said to Hobab, who's this Hobab? The son of Ruel. Who's this Ruel? Other name for Jethro. The Midianite. Moses says, Khatan. We are setting out for the place to which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will treat you well for the Lord has promised good things to Israel. And what does Hobab say? He said, no, 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 I will not come. But I will depart to my own land and be with my relatives. So Zipporah had a brother also. His name is Hobab. So Moses said, please don't leave us in as much as you know how we are to camp in the wilderness, you can be our eyes. Ayyo, Moses, what is this affinity, Baba, with your khatan? You are supposed to be the eyes of your people. 
God is supposed to lead you in the wilderness. And you are looking for this Hobab. A man who is uncircumcised. A priest of Midian's son. To lead you. Who doesn't even want to come with you. Who created the maximum problems in Israel? The mixed multitude. What are you doing? What are you doing? Lessons, lessons, my dear brothers. Be very careful whose advice you take. Very, very careful. And I'll show you the kind of advice this man is going to give now. Let's go to Numbers, sorry, Exodus chapter 18. And we will finish this with this, okay? So, verse 3 of 18, chapter 3. Uh, with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom, Eliezer, etc. Sorry. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife in the wilderness, and where he was encamped at the mountain of God. Now he has said to, now he had said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, I am come out, I am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down and kissed him, and they asked each other about their well-being, and they went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord has done to Pharaoh. That means Zipporah was not there. Zipporah was not there. Madam was not there. To know all that the Lord has done to Pharaoh. Moses had told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and all to the Egyptians uh, and, and to the Egyptians for for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them. You see, he is giving the entire testimony to a Gentile. You think a man in the world is going to know the person in the kingdom? What do you say? No. That's what I said, right? So first thing I told you in 1 John chapter 3 verse 1, the people in the world will not know you. The natural man cannot discern the things of the Spirit of God for it is foolishness to him. But here of course, this is a physical thing, but you'll know very soon that this man has no idea as to how to deal with the things of God. Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the... Oh, now I know. I know. But do you really serve him now, alone? That's a question. No, no, I will continue to be a priest of Midian, please. I don't want to lose my position there. I was an elder in another church. If I come here, I can't be. I will continue to be a priest in Midian. For in the very thing in which they behave proudly, he was above them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. You look at the word Moses' father-in-law, Moses' father-in-law, Moses. At least five to six times the word Khatan appears here. Six or seven times if I'm right. When Moses' father-in-law took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God, Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with. Again, Moses' father-in-law before God. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit is reiterating this over and over and over again. Next verse. And so it was on the next day that Moses had to judge the people and the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law, again, he never says, what? Jethro or Ruel. 
when moses father in law saw all that he did for the people he said what is this that you are doing ayyo my son in law what is going on with you re why do you do why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening and he gives me explanation and moses said to his father in law nazan said to jethro because the people come to me to inquire of god when they have difficulty they come to me and i judge between one another and i make the statutes of god and his laws no okay so moses's father in law said to him the thing that you are doing is not who told you no i just graduated from watton school of business both you and these people who are with you will surely wear themselves out it looks so perfect to the to your intuition but there is one problem and i'll tell you what the problem is for this thing is too much for you who told who told you did god tell if god called you into a ministry will he not sufficiently equip you will he not give the ability that's what it says whoever preaches let him preach as the oracles of god whoever serves let him serve with the ability or the strength that god provides or god supplies so that in all things god might be glorified right nothing wrong in delegation that is not the point here that is not the point you have to delegate responsibility but the way you do it is very important for this thing is too much for you you are not able to perform it yourself and then what happens listen now for my voice listen to my voice i will give you counsel and god will be with you are look at this 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 I will give you counsel and God will be with you I will give you advice and God will be with you Never says you know what let us pray and seek God how best we can do this No Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficult uh, bring the difficulties to God and you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which you must walk and the work they must do Moreover you should select from all the people able men very good you should you always have to choose able men people who fear god second men of truth hating covetousness and place over them rulers of thousands rulers of hundreds rulers of fifties and rulers of tens is there anything wrong in his advice except one thing how do you know how do you know who is able men how do you know who are those people who fear god How do you know who is men of truth? How do you know people who don't hate don't, hate covetousness? How do you know all these people? Turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter six, verse twelve onwards. Yeah. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out. Who? Who went out? Whenever he is going out on the mountain, it is only Jesus, not the disciples. Okay. Now it came. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out. Uh, into the mountains to pray and continued all night in prayer to god and when it was day he called the disciples to himself and then he chose 12 among them as apostles in order to choose 12 apostles out of the 70 that he had what did have what did the son of god god himself have to do pray and after those 12 he chose there's one was was there not one guy who was given to covetousness did god not know it yes he knew it did he not select him yes he still selected him but it was god's choice did you ask how do you know how do you know 
this very people whom he chooses. You know what will happen? Few chapters later, Exodus chapter 32, Moses goes out to the temple, onto the mountains, and suddenly they says, we don't know what happened to this fellow Moses. Who said this? Who said this? The very people I believe who chose, whom he chose. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 onwards. You know this very well. And in those days, when the number of the disciples were multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in their daily distribution. They got less number of idlis, in other words. Okay. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation. But then, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. That you cannot miss. Who may appoint over this business? That's exactly what happens in Numbers chapter 11. Moses, Moses says, Lord, this is too much for me to bear. And God says, okay, fine. Call 70. I will take what? Some of your spirit which is upon you and I will give to them and then you appoint. Not go and use Jethro's degrees from Wharton School of Business and apply it. That's the problem. The moment you make alliances with <laughs> priests of Midian, he will give alliance and he will go. Who has to be, take the responsibility? Moses has to take the responsibility. Who's got, who's at, who's, who should give an account? Moses has to give an account. Who should give an account? The pastor has to give an account. And therefore, very, very important who the pastor listens to. Very important. Everybody wants to be an elder. Do they have the spirit upon them? Do they, are they full of the Holy Spirit? Are they men of good reputation? Are they full of the Holy Spirit? Do I have wisdom? I don't know. Very few. Very few. So, so what does Mr. Solomon do? First he does. He makes an alliance with Pharaoh <laughs> in marrying his daughter. And that's it. It sets him up to that slippery slope. Then what does it, what happens next? One thing leads to the other, right? Now, First Kings chapter 10 verse 28. Also Solomon had horses imported from. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is important. Imported from Egypt is important. Now you make an alliance with, with Egypt, you have to have business partnerships also for them, with them. Right? He will not, the father-in-law will not uh, agree if you go into Tyre or somewhere else, somewhere else and Babylon maybe, I don't know, to get horses. No, 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 no. That's exactly the reason why in Deuteronomy chapter 17 it says, do not multiply horses by going down to where? To Egypt. And the first thing he does is goes there. I think Deuteronomy chapter 17 was written with Solomon in his mind, in God's mind. You see everything in Deuteronomy chapter 17, what he is not supposed to do, is exactly what everybody does. Don't multiply silver and gold. He multiplies silver and gold. There is nothing wrong in multiplying silver and gold. Even David multiplied silver and gold. You know what he did? He put it away for the what? For the house of God. 
And when people said, asked him, when he asked people to give the free will offerings, you know what he did? He got all this gold for the, for the temple of God and he took half of his own wealth and he put it into the treasury and he says, I'm giving half the wealth. And when people saw this man's heart for the kingdom of God, they also started giving. And what did this guy do? What did this guy do? Built his own house for how many years? No, come to this point now. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 4. Chapter 9. 1 Kings chapter 9. Amassing wealth. 1 Kings chapter 9 verse 10. Onwards. Now it happened at the end of 20 years. After how many years? 20 years. 7 years to build the house. 13 years to build his own house. When Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house, what happens? Hiram, the king of Tyre, who had su- supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress and gold, as much as he desired. Who desired? Solomon desired. That King Solomon then gave Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. What are you giving? You are giving 20 cities in the land of promise, which nobody supposed to sell it to anybody, even if the, that particular property was supposed to be distributed to the children of Israel. And if it is given to somebody, he has to redeem it in which year? The year of Jubilee it has to go back, right? How dare you take those things and give it to somebody else? How dare you do it? Are we okay? A few minutes and I'll be done. Give me a top up, please, in the meantime. It's okay, don't worry, we're done. So Hiram, the king of Tyre, had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress. The king Solomon then gave Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. Who asked you to give it? Do you think the promised land will be attractive to the people of the world? No. No. Then Hiram went from Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given them. But they did not please him. And you know what he says? And he said, what kind of cities are these which you have given me? My brother. My what? Brother. And he called them the land of Kabul. Means what? Useless. Worthless. As they are to this day. Then King Hiram sent King 120 talents of gold. Now this is a loan that he had given him. And what? Are, how does Solomon pay it back? Next verse. And for this reason, and this is the reason for the labor force. You know the word labor force comes from the Hebrew word taskmaster. Exodus chapter 1 verse 11. Whom did he task? His own people. To build whose house? Your house. To, to pay off whose loan? The king of Tyre's loan. That's exactly what happens, right? People build, they don't build God's house these days. They build their own house and they call it God's house. And what do they do? They take the taskmaster whip and every Sunday, give money. 
touch, give money to the church building program. They are not building the church, they are building their own house. See, Exodus 1.11, therefore they said, taskmaster, the same thing. What did Solomon do? Instead of being a shepherd to his people, what did he become now? He became their taskmaster. Now you know what happens? My father chastised you with whips. Jeroboam says, Rehoboam rather. Rehoboam says, but I will chastise you with what? With scorpions. Building your own house now. Multiplied horses. Made an alliance with Egypt. With Satan himself in other words. Multiplied horses. Multiplied silver and gold lavish lifestyle, now you have to support that lifestyle. So whom do you levy taxes upon? The people. And to add to all this, you love many women. And what do the women do? Turn it. That's it. A man who now becomes the lover of self. He slips into idolatry. You know how? He becomes a friend. And he starts loving it. He gets defiling. He defiles himself. Now he's completely polluted. And his heart is now divided into several fragments. All his wife turn his heart away from God. That's exactly what is happening these days. Become, people become lovers of self. And lovers of God. These are lessons that we learn. We need to ask ourselves this question, Lord, whose house are we building? Whatever project you you have started, do we have to whip people? Then you are building your own house, not God's house. You should see how you go to some churches for, for, for one, what, 20 minutes message, one hour church building program. Oh, this person gave so much, that person gave so much. May the Lord bless them. May the Lord multiply their silver and gold so that they can give more to the church building program. And you fellows, what are you doing? At least buy one brick. Your house. You know what you have become? You have become a taskmaster. And slowly shifts into idolatry. There are four steps. What's that step? Step number one, friendship. Step number two, love. Step number three, defiled. Step number two, polluted completely. You're breathing the world now. And what are you going to do? God begins to chastise you. And you want to kill the same guy whom God has chosen. Just like Saul. What is the difference now? Like the pastor keeps saying. What's the difference between Saul's anointing and King Solomon's anointing now? 
That's the point. So may the Lord grant us grace that we will say, Lord, grant me a perfect heart and a willing mind. A perfect heart, a complete heart. I'll have integrity in my heart and a willing mind. Shall we pray? Father, we pray, Father. We all are prone to have idols in our heart. Grant us grace that we will walk close to you. That we will mind our friendships. We will mind our loves. We will mind what defiles us. Grant us grace not to go back like the dog goes back to its vomit. That will become comfortable with the pollutions of this world. Grant us grace to that and we pray. We thank you, we praise you. For in Jesus' name, Amen.